0: Welcome to Higher Ed Advisor, the Baker-Tilly podcast dedicated to providing insightful guidance and leading practices for college, university, and research institution leaders and board members. Experts and thought leaders in higher education finance, institutional operations, collegiate athletics and esports, health and wellness, data analytics, and more. Join our podcast host, higher education practice leader, Dave Capitano for bi-weekly episodes, to discuss the latest news in higher education and the impact these trends and changes have on the industry. This is where you come to learn what's really going on behind the scenes at colleges and universities across the country.
1: Hello, and welcome to our Higher Ed Advisor podcast. My name is Dave Capitano, Higher Education Practice Leader and podcast host. According to a recent national survey released by P3EDU, in the Chronicle of Higher Education, 71% of institutional leaders see public-private partnerships, or P3s, growing on their campuses as they adopt new or improved innovative and impactful business models. Why are so many colleges and universities leveraging these partnerships, and what are the benefits and challenges? We find out in this episode with Christine Smith and our guest, Chancellor Jim Schmidt, of the University of Wisconsin, Eau Claire, and Kim Wei, president of UW Eau Claire Foundation. Chancellor Schmidt and Kim demonstrate how P3s open new doors for ways institutions can benefit communities, serve their students, and attain fiscal resiliency. They share some of the institution's success stories with P3s, including revitalization and enhancing campus infrastructure, academic programs and student experiences, as well as being able to further and align with uw Claire's mission strategy. We also learn more about uw Claire's lessons learned and best practices with leveraging P3s. All right, let's take a listen.
0: All right,
2: listeners, you're in for a real treat today. Today, we are thrilled to welcome Chancellor Jim Schmidt and Kamara Way, who epitomize the essence of what meaningful partnerships look like. They charted an impactful path for how to effectively establish long term partnerships between a university, its foundation and the community partners and regions it serves in a way that significantly impacts students. So maybe Jim, if you wouldn't mind saying a little bit about your background and putting into context how that background has helped to shape University of Wisconsin Eau Claire's philosophy as it relates to the community, your partnerships, and the collaborations that you seek.
3: So uh, my background in higher education goes back too many years to count, but I actually started my career in higher ed actually working for a member of Congress. So I understand kind of the notion of politics and coalition building in order to accomplish things, getting people from different walks of life interested in similar things to get things accomplished. And my first job was at a technical college, and many of those are really immersed in their community, all about finding relationships with business to help build community. And my first president, first woman in the country to be the president of a technical college, she was uh, very much an entrepreneur and she ruined me, some people have said, because I tend to approach everything from a very entrepreneurial perspective, and I'm always on the lookout for opportunities. At one point, uh, my previous job was at Winona State University as Vice President of University Advancement. And in that capacity, had worked on a number of public-private partnerships, including a new housing development. Uh, That university also had a major housing shortage. Very happy at Winona State, but I heard of this opening in Eau Claire. And one of the things that drove me to apply for this chancellorship was the notion of the Pablo Arts Facility. Here was a community and a university University needed a replacement for an old, outdated theater. The community was looking for a replacement for an old vaudeville theater, which had been receiving support from the community to be a community asset for the many theater and arts groups within the community. And I thought, hey, if they have figured out that they can't do things the old way, that they can do more by sharing and working together, create something far better than they could have by themselves. This is a community and this is a university that I need to explore because that's the wave of the future. And so that brought me to Eau Claire and with Kim's hard work, all kinds of community members, hard work. We built that coalition to get some support from the state of Wisconsin to raise almost 30 million dollars privately in the community, as well as support from the county and the city to kick into that project. It had been a rousing success, and that really laid the groundwork for many of these other efforts, and it gave confidence in the members of the people of Eau Claire that we could do things differently and accomplish so much.
2: Kim, as Chancellor said, you've been with the foundation, have been in the throes of this for years, so talk about in the role as you then were president of the foundation, now are the CEO, talk a little bit about the strategic priority and prioritization you put on partnerships.
4: Thank you for having me. We like to say collaborations are us is what the foundation is all about. And what we have tried to do from the foundation perspective is look at what is the university's strategic plan and its initiatives, especially in the area of the campus master plan. And then there were certain elements that clearly we're not going to be accomplished through the typical traditional processes of standing in line and asking the state for funding. And so opportunity came and we as a board realized that this was a chance for the foundation to lean in and to try to step forward and, and acquire some real estate that would meet the university's needs that was part of the strategic master plan. And that also was aligned with what the foundation's goals and missions were in terms of helping the university in real critical areas and those critical areas first started out with a child care center acquired a priory and a convent to serve as the child care center and then that morphed into the opportunity to participate in the confluence project which was the arts center downtown that the chancellor mentioned and student housing And then that morphed into more student housing. And then finally, the really major project that we're working on right now is an event center recreation complex. But that's all tied to the campus's master plan for facilities.
2: So can either one of you speak to are these partnerships primarily then real estate based and focused on the building of the facility or do they, they encompass more than that?
4: Well, I think it's one of those things that it kind of one thing leads to another. I think once we demonstrated a desire and willingness and a capacity to invest in real estate projects and partner, especially with the Pablo Center and the project downtown, I think that attitude and that approach really... Uh, became known to the community and then certainly opened the door for other partnerships. And of course, having an entrepreneurial chancellor who looks for every opportunity to try to advance the university in a more strategic way led to some of the really critical ones such as Mayo and others.
2: And chancellor, do you want to talk more about the partnership with Mayo and specifically the Sonatek Center and everything that's wrapped all around that?
3: Yeah, I'd love to. So the the Mayo partnership... uh, has been something that's really been transformative. I think when people look back at my legacy, they may point to all of the capital projects that were completed, but I said all along that I believe that the partnership with Mayo Clinic would be the most transformational for the institution because it goes to the heart of learning, exploration, research, and adding to the body of knowledge that each university exists to fundamentally do. So I had been asked, uh, interestingly enough, by someone who was one of the developers in getting the Pablo Arts Center together to consider joining the Mayo board. He had been serving on the board and was looking for a replacement. So I served on their board uh, for about a year and a half, two years before the CEO at that time announced his retirement. The CEO is selected uh, through a process based in Rochester, Minnesota, which is the home of the Mayo Clinic. And I was asked to serve on that search committee. And one of the people interviewing for the position, uh, Dr. Helmers, was second in command down at the Mayo operation in Arizona. And a part of his presentation, he talked about the partnership with Arizona State University and what was all entailed with it. Well, after he finished his interview, I followed him into the hallway and I said, you did a great job in the interview. I hope you get the job, but regardless, I want to talk to you about this partnership that you have with Arizona State. And one thing led to another. He got the job and even before he started, I you know someone had to do it, flew down to Phoenix in February and uh, met with the folks at Arizona State and with Dr. Helmers to start looking at what that partnership could look like so. UW Eau Claire only months later signed what was only the second such agreement with the Mayo Clinic, which is a universal research agreement. So the heart of the partnership started with research. Mayo Clinic in Eau Claire and Northwestern Wisconsin very much wanted to transform their practice to be one that was not only more research based, but it was also having young learners Ask the difficult questions. Ask the questions that no one else would ask to make them stronger healthcare providers. What that's led to is a robust research program. Mayo Clinic's estimating more than $100 million in joint research spent with UW-Eau Claire over a 10-year period of time, and they believe it'll go much further. Five years have passed, and already this partnership has surpassed all of our goals for the entire agreement. So now we're looking at the next stage. One of Mayo Clinic's goals is that UW-Eau Claire will become the nation's number one pre-med school. Now I'm an audacious thinker, but I have to tell you, I couldn't have even hoped to say something like that out loud for anyone else to hear it. But Mayo Clinic has a strong brand. They have the resources and they are helping fund to make sure that we can attract the best pre-med students around the country to Eau Claire. Day one, as freshmen, these top 10 each year will get a full ride scholarship and they will begin doing research with a male clinician or doctor and a UW Eau Claire faculty member. Nowhere in the world can you do that with the Mayo Clinic as a freshman, day one. I'm not aware of any other undergraduate or any other university where first day pre-med students get the opportunity to be engaged in research with an actual clinician and an actual faculty member. But that can happen at Eau Claire. In the very first year of launching that, we've had a number of the research teams with freshmen who are get in peer-reviewed journal articles. Or medical journals to be more specific. You're lucky to get that published in graduate school. So to be able to do that in your freshman year makes you one of the strongest candidates for medical school. But this partnership goes beyond that. Um, We can look at the Sonntag facility where the Mayo Clinic is going to be putting in a $13 million sports medicine clinic and full imaging suite. Some of the top doctors in Rochester are moving to Eau Claire so that they have the opportunity to work with our researchers and in the case of the sports medicine program to do research with young athletes because there's no major university in Rochester that they can do that research with. Secondly, the University of Wisconsin System has just approved Phase Two funding for our new science and health science building. Within this new $350 million facility, Mayo Clinic will have 10,000 square feet of research space spread throughout the building. It's the first time that something like this has happened in the state of Wisconsin, and they want to make sure that they don't have boxes and boxes, but they have constant interaction with our faculty and with our students. We like to talk about this as an interdependent relationship. That means that we understand we don't make major moves as a strategic partner without wondering out loud, is there a role for Mayo Clinic with us? And Mayo Clinic has done the same kind of thing. I think the true test of the greatest partnerships is when you ask each of the partners who's getting the better deal. Uh, You've probably guessed it. If you ask me, I'm going to say, UW-Eau Claire is getting the best deal, and I can go into quite some detail on why that's the case. But if you ask Dr. Helmers from Mayo Clinic, he will say Mayo's getting the best deal. And after listening to him, you will understand why this is all about the talent pipeline. Look, I'm the last year of the baby boom. All the other generations behind me are much smaller. The critical demand we're seeing across the country is around whether or not you can get educated people to fill key positions. Mayo Clinic is upfront. They want to bring the best pre-med students to the area, get them Eau Claire, get them used to the winters, get them working with Mayo Clinic so they look at things from a Mayo perspective, hopefully attracting them to medical school or one of the many other pre-professional programs that are necessary to help the Mayo Clinic operate and ideally have them go to work for Mayo Clinic. And we've seen this example with Hewlett Packard Enterprises, another example. And I do believe that this is the most effective way universities can truly accomplish great things for their region, for their students. And I believe that businesses will move to universities, to those communities where universities are willing to have these kinds of relationships.
2: Chancellor Schmidt, could you talk more specifically about the programmatic, academic programmatic changes that have come along with the Mayo Partnership?
3: So that's really at the heart of Mayo's intention of having this partnership with us. They want to build that pipeline of talent to their institution. Of course, doctors, but there are so many other professions within the medically related areas. So in the last 10 years, UW-Eau Claire, I think, has added nearly 11 new medically related programs and options at the university. That partnership, by the way, positioned us well for a workforce innovation grant that the state of Wisconsin put out as part of the covid relief funds that came to the state uh, institutions were allowed to apply for up to 10 million dollars we were the only ew school awarded in the first round of those uh, awards and we were fully funded that grant calls for six additional new academic programs that we now have seed money and money to buy equipment and do facilities renovations so we can jumpstart an additional six programs. And I will tell you that we've already identified a number of other programs at the university that we also plan to bring online in the next several years. And beyond that, we're working directly with Mayo Clinic's education division, where they have a medical school and in uh, Rochester and taking a look at where we can also provide that support. Maybe it's their first two years in Rochester, but their second two years in Eau Claire, working with UW Eau Claire, because one of the things Mayo and many medical schools are trying to do is have all of their mds also get an additional master's degree in that process so we're bringing online a master's in public health degree a health-related mba program which is by the way already ranked in the top 10 nationally by u.s news and world report we're pretty excited about that and so Mayo's recognize that quality so in addition to us attracting and focusing and becoming more distinctive as an institution Our partner is getting directly the kind of medical programming they need, not only to attract employees, but help retain employees and upskill employees.
2: Well, and additionally, the, the region is getting what they need to support a robust economy, which is extremely exciting for the western side of the state. Thank you for that explanation, Chancellor. As an alumni of this great institution, I'm proud. A very multifaceted and mutually beneficial partnership such as this takes takes a lot of work and a lot of partners to, to make it happen. So, Kim, can you say more about specific the the Sanante Center? That that's a huge project for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with it. Many partners, big efforts, fantastic donors. Can you add to to what was said about the programming side of the Sonnetag Center?
4: This will be one of probably, one of the largest projects we will have done that benefits both the university and the community. And while we were doing the Pablo Confluence project, I thought that was, but then this is, I think emerging as something because kind of the backstory is John and Carolyn Sonnetag who met at UW Claire, great love story. They have a, their family owns an extensive concrete business, county materials, Uh, with locations throughout the country and they had a, a major footprint in eau claire along the chippewa river about 21 acres and in conversations with them about their legacy of giving for the university we had asked just kind of as a list of things is if they'd ever consider donating the land where their business sits and the initial response was no but then after we continued to talk with them they they came back to us and said they'd like to donate the land because one of the items in our campus master plan was the replacement of Zorn Arena, which was built in 1952 and is our largest facility on campus. And it was built when we had an enrollment of about 1500 students. So that project then evolved um, through a number of iterations and discussions. The centerpiece of it, it continues to be a replacement for Zorn Arena. It's a, It'll be a, a facility that will hold about 5,000 It'll be home to the Blue Gold uh, men's and women's basketball programs, and it'll be a a community event facility, the largest facility in our region, um, that will be available for both the university use and the community's use. And so part of that then, attached to that, is a field house, an indoor field house, a turf with turf field. uh, That'll be over 100 yards, and that will be used for indoor athletics as well as, again, community sports events and activities. You know, we in Wisconsin suffer from vagaries of weather. And in the springtime, our softball team, there have been seasons when they've never been able to play a game at home because there's been snow on the field. And so to be able to have An indoor facility that would accommodate our student programs, our athletic programs, as well as our softball, soccer, all of the other types of indoor things that you'd use as a campus turf facility. And then it also, as the Chancellor referenced, has Mayo Clinic Health System attached to it with a clinic. Uh, But what's made it really a community facility and a community benefit is the City of Beauclair. Is agreed to participate and they have created a tax increment financing district. And through that financing, they've invested money to increase the size of the facility so that it can really be a community event center. And then uh, local developers or local business group, the Pablo Group, is building a hotel on the site and a restaurant. And then the Pablo Foundation, which is, uh, I might say, all started and funded by UW Eau Claire alumni, blue golds everywhere. They are very, very committed to sustainability. And so they've made a gift of nearly $10 million, both in the form of a low interest loan and a, and a gift that will allow the facility to be completely carbon neutral. And also then as a result of that, able to tie into a very, very, very large solar field will represent about half of the connection to that. So. We'll have geothermal in the building that, that will then be assisted by power with the solar field. And so our building will hopefully be uh, gold Lead certified. And so it will be the largest and the most advanced from a sustainability perspective in the probably the whole Northwest Wisconsin. And so you have the university, you have private support, you have Mayo Clinic Health System, you have the city, you have a Pablo group as well as the Pablo Foundation all working together to create a facility that meets the university's needs, actually will exceed the university's needs in many areas, but that will be a true community facility. And more importantly, I think, is the fact that the area where this is located was a a really underutilized industrial site. It's 21 acres of the most beautiful riverfront property in the community, and it'll serve as a cornerstone for redevelopment of that whole area. Just as we saw several hundred million in redevelopment in downtown Eau Claire as a result of the Confluence project, we expect to see that level of redevelopment along Mono- the Menominee Street corridor and even Highway 12, which also borders our project. And what else is exciting is there's other facility nearby that this really makes it a true kind of a sports district for our community that will really promote both the tourism Visitors, sports, uh, active community. I mean, it it checks off a lot of boxes of need in our community.
2: Well, and so what I'm struck by is that it's huge, significant impacts to students, mutual benefits to our partners and a great deal of urban revitalization that I think the university and the foundation have been, you know, integrally involved with. Those are all difficult things and not easy sort of processes to to navigate. I guess, Chancellor, I'll let you start and then we'll turn over to Kim. Can you talk about some of the challenges that you have faced and how you've overcome them for those that are thinking about entering into these sorts of
3: partnerships? Well, most of the bureaucratic structures are not set up this way. Uh, We have found we've done some things that other schools and communities have done, but we've done a number of things where it's very different. Take this arts center, for example. We don't own it. City doesn't own it. It's owned by a nonprofit group. Our students get access to more than 90% of the entire space. Within that space are faculty offices and classrooms and specific academic space that the rest of the community doesn't have immediate access to, they can work with us on it but yet our students and faculty get access to almost the entire facility. And yet we only pay about a third of the operating cost to keep that building going, because there are all these other users that are in there. That's a bargain. And yet we have found that most theaters don't go in the black, they run in the red. But if you have someone like us, who's taking a third of those operating costs right off the top, that provides that cushion. It makes the bigger cost events that they bring in there, it helps those to make that possible to finish paying the rent, keep the lights on, not the rent, but the lights on, and the staffing and all the operational pieces. So this is a complicated puzzle, and yet it's hard, because sharing is hard. We were taught to do this when we were two years old, But sharing can still be hard. Partnerships can be difficult. So you better really like the partners and you better see the benefit. From my perspective, what's the benefit for our students? What are the opportunities? Well, they get to work with artisans of all ages. They get to help out and be on the technical crew to help stage some big rock concerts some big traveling Broadway shows. So they get that opportunity. With the Sonatec facility, they get the opportunity to learn lead certification, how to actually get certifications to doing this green building. So all of these programs have academic pieces. And those are things I don't have to pay for separately. You know, if you're a state institution you've probably got fewer dollars coming in today than you did 10 years ago in, in the case of wisconsin our tuition has been frozen for 10 years so my challenge as chancellor is how do you make good on your mission how do you make sure this generation of students has a better opportunity for education than any of us benefited from how do you do that we have to invite partners in who have resources and that those partners also get a return on sharing those resources with us. So I, I can tell you, this is not for the faint of heart. Uh, Kim and her team and myself, well, there is dozens of time where this theater project was never going to happen because it gets complicated. But what that's done for the, the mindset of the people of Eau Claire is, oh, this can work. It had a lot of naysayers. I mean, you go into the politics of it, there were competing referendums. We needed everybody in Eau Claire to vote yes on one referendum and no on another one in order for this package to come together. So you can have detractors even though you've gone in with the best of intentions. I will tell you now, I don't hear many critics of that project. There's been nearly $500 million in additional construction in the downtown area since this theater opened. People will tell you, you used to go downtown Eau Claire on a Friday night at five o'clock and you may not see anyone. Today, on a Sunday afternoon, you're going to have to go into one of the parking ramps because the place is full and a beehive of activity. So that initiative has spurned so many other things, a new children's museum that's being constructed in the downtown, this notion of making the sun complex work. And because of that, entrepreneurs are gonna say they're gonna work. So we're gonna reinvest in the city of Eau Claire. Eau Claire in the last census, our average age is getting younger. I don't know of many places in the Midwest that can claim that. Our school district is still building elementary schools We've had an almost a 50% increase in the percentage of our graduates who are staying in Eau Claire than there were 10 years ago when I got here. We have become the destination, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, way on the other side of Wisconsin. Banner headline on a Sunday. How did Eau Claire become the magnet for artsy millennials? So we become a destination. And since COVID, we're finding more and more developments that are being built all over Eau Claire, specifically to attract people out of the big cities so that they have a good quality of life, because now there are all these amenities that are springing up. So I think the region of Eau Claire, the Chippewa Valley has found the secret sauce. And I think it was the, the former chair of GM, he used to say, what's good for GM is good for the country. And now if you ask people in Eau Claire, I think they'd say what's good for UW Eau Claire is good for the community. I know that that's my perspective. If I can help do something positive in the community, I know eventually there'll be returns to the university.
2: Significant returns and significant benefit. Kim, and reflecting, I guess, from your perspective on these partnerships and on these real estate projects, what have been some of the the factors that have been important to overcome the challenges what have been some of those things that have had to be in place other than just sheer will and tenacity
4: i think you always need a key group of entities or individuals that have a shared vision and i think the the reason why both the son and tech project is working and the confluence is the core group of people that were involved in really making this happen all came from different perspectives, but they continually kept at the forefront what is right for the project. You know, when you do collaborations, not everybody gets 100% of what they want. But what you have to agree to is, I may not get everything I want, but I'm going to get, everything I'm going to get is what I need. And everything that everybody else is getting is gonna make me better as well. And I think that's the number one rule in all of these is continually saying to yourself, what is best for the project? And some days I had to give in on some things and other days other people had to. So I think that just a, an unwavering commitment to making sure that the project is at the forefront and all of our egos take a back seat. And I think, too, that there's just sheer will and sheer determination. You really need that. When we were you know, talking to the state about funding for the Confluence Project, a number of legislators would say to us, well, if we give this money to Eau Claire, everybody's going to come and want this money. And we said they should. You should give money to any community that's willing to collaborate like this That's willing to bring disparate groups together and bring a lot of people at the table and do something that's going to benefit a large part of your community. These projects are hard work and they aren't for the faint of heart. But if you have a a community that's willing to do what's necessary and put the work in, and I think the bigger that you could draw the circle to include entities, you know, for the Sonitech project, we visited all of the local the neighborhoods that are surrounding the project to make sure they understood what it was, to make sure that they knew that they're, they were going to benefit from this. And so when we went before the city for all of the approvals that we've had to go through with the, the approval of the plan commission and all of those different things, there wasn't a single entity that came forward to object to it. And I think part of that is that we've really tried to spend the time to show them the benefit and that what we're trying to do is gonna benefit them and help them. And I think that's the kind of legwork that needs to be done for the Confluence Project. We attended something like 65 public meetings to generate support for the project. And I think there's a tendency sometimes in communities where the university is a major player in the community, where the university goes in and says, "You know, we wanna get this done and you need to all fall in line. You can't go into it as the elephant in the room, so to speak. You have to go into it to be willing to take a seat at the table and to help put our energy behind it, but not be the ones that are dictating everything about it. To me, I think that's the real key to success.
3: I would add one of the side benefits of this is that you really capture the hearts and minds and generous support of the community. So we've talked about the very specific things that require all these relationships and partnerships. But as UW Eau Claire put forward a proposal to build the most expensive building that the UW systems ever built with the science and health science building with a price tag that is with inflation now predicted to be well over $300 million. We have enjoyed 100% support from our community. It remains the number one legislative goal for our Chamber of Commerce and while you know, there's a little bit of blue ink on the political map in Eau Claire itself. It is surrounded in a sea of red. And I wanna say we've enjoyed 100% bipartisan support from the 10 or more legislators surrounding Eau Claire because they've heard from the business community, they've heard from their neighbors that this university isn't just out for themselves, they're out to help promote the broader region. And therefore, when they say they need a science and health science building to produce more nurses, doctors and people who can do partnerships with their community, we're all in. And we have a list of more than 100 businesses who have benefited from our current science faculty, joint research, testing, et cetera, employees. They know that the returns can be bigger there. So particularly those for public institutions know that. Yep, it feels like it's a lot of work. Yep, it's not an easy process. If you do it right, and if you do it honorably, the community will repay you multiple times over in their generous support, both in philanthropy, but also from a political perspective.
2: So it sounds like literally, if you build it, they will come and be sure they're advocating right on your behalf. And they will if it's being done for the right reasons. So very exciting. The insights you've shared have been have been great. And we thank you for being um, on the podcast today. I guess in closing, is there anything that you would add that's important for those who might be contemplating such a journey of complicated partnerships, but, but rewarding partnerships? I guess I'll start with you, Kim, and then Chancellor, we'll let you have the final word.
4: Well, we're always happy to talk to people. And if anybody's contemplating, you know, just reach out to us because we believe that if other communities have success in doing this, then that wealth just spreads. And I think that's a really critical thing. And I will tell you that it does become a bit addictive. We have a couple other partnerships that we're looking at expanding and working on beyond Sonatech. So once you start, you realize that there's a world of possibility if you just all keep focused at that and bring the right people to the table.
3: I think that if you go in it with the right spirit, you find partners with integrity, you'll find out that it's the partner's job to look out for your best interests. So you look out for their best interest. And because of that, you have more of an abundance mentality versus a culture of scarcity. That's something Stephen Covey used to talk about. If you watch out for them, they'll watch out for you. And and I will tell you, I think that this is where higher ed will have its new frontier. It is part of our mission. Our mission is always around teaching, research and service, and a lot of places don't put as much energy into that service. Well, this isn't just service. This is that true partnership. So I would nominate that to be the fourth pillar in a modern higher education institution, teaching, research, service and partnership.
2: And I think on that very wise note, I'm going to conclude this podcast. And again, thank you, Chancellor James Schmidt and Kamara Way, University of Wisconsin, Eau Claire, and its foundation. Thanks so much for
0: your time today.
3: It was our pleasure.
0: Thank you for joining us today. To receive notification when new episodes become available, please subscribe to Baker Tilly U.S. wherever you get your podcast.